Hello, my friends. How's it going? How's work? Uh, how's play? How's sleep? Having any cool dreams? Or maybe that's about play and work. Mmm. The oversection of them all is your dreams. Um, cross-section? Oversection? Both? So, welcome to Rendezvous with Jamie McGlue. Uh, or Rendezvous with yourself. Um... So today's topic is something uh, very near and dear to my heart, which is uh, seeing clearly, uh, not in the literal sense necessarily, because I might not be an expert on that, but um, in the uh, more figurative uh, sense of knowing what's real and knowing what's right. So um, I guess intellectual and ethical vision or capacity to map your environment and understand what's going on. Um, I'm not an expert in that, but I do try pretty hard. So, you know, um, and I did uh, study philosophy at university and um, there's some stuff I learned in critical thinking, which was a unit there in first year, that I think was really amazing and I, I wish everyone learned at school. I wasn't taught it at, you know, in high school or primary school. But um, it's really useful. Like there are some principles which I'm going to share today uh, and also some of my own thoughts of just, you know, kind of strategy, practical strategies for knowing what's actually going on. Very important like these days, I'd say. Um, and uh, but yeah, there's, you know, people throughout time. I was blessed to be presented with, OK, here's a textbook and then we're doing lectures and, you know, um, what do you call it? Tutorials and stuff investigating. OK. Here's a uh, little thing someone's written. Um, okay, convert it into a logical argument. Like, what's the skeleton, the logical skeleton within this? Not the emotion, not, you know, the... And there's, as we'll talk about, there's all these little uh, fallacies, like these errors of logic, which you, you can make where, no, it doesn't connect. That's not a valid move, you know? Um, so how to detect them and kind of say, what is the argument and how to assess it for its on its merits? Um, and thus to be able to know, like what's real, yeah, basically. Um, and so I was blessed to be able to, you know, um, exposed to the inherited wisdom of like thousands of years of people thinking about this, um, how to know what's real and what's right. Um, and so that's what we're going to get into a bit today. Um, so first of all, basically critical thinking. Uh, okay. Uh, actually, first of all, music, much more important than... Uh, the head is the heart, I'd say. Um, the, you know, the head can follow the heart, basically. Um, and But by the heart, that would mean, you know, like a, a, your soul. I don't mean your primal emotions. I wouldn't, that's not your soul, that's your body more. Um, so the heart, like the, you know, the heart that is in Otis Redding as he's singing, you know, and... Uh, or it's in a beautiful movie and you, oh, you just feel this upwelling of emotion. Um, that kind of stuff, you know. Not so much the, oh, we're watching football or, you know, I'm, you know, looking at some nasty bit of grease and like, what, what do I feel? Uh, not that kind of emotions of disgust to protect yourself from contagion or anger to, you know, defend rightful territory or um, fear to avoid threats or, um, you know, I guess, uh, would that be not greed, but um, appetite 
for uh, beneficial things, things that are beneficial for you. So music, I'd say, is uh, that kind of thing from the, the deeper heart. So here's a little bit of music to begin. Days roll as the waves More into the maze The cycle repeats Oh and again The hours pass Endure the farce To make ends meet Oh and again now remembers an origin tender and wisdom smiles oh and again oh and again ever much the same forever and always once known by name And I guess, um, you know, I don't know, music's beautiful. And so maybe that's why I put it at the beginning of all of my podcasts, because it's just beauty. I think it's more important than anything else. Slash, uh, but I think it's kind of not just that. It's like you connect, uh, you exit your head. And that's very important, um, especially for this episode about critical thinking. I think there's a lot of very, very intelligent people out there, you know, who, you know, huge heads. Um, from here to here, you know, heads broader than their shoulders. And, um, but they can't stop thinking. And, you know, uh, some of them might take pills to fall asleep because they can't stop thinking even, you know. But um, people who don't know what you mean, if you mean that, you know, well, they wouldn't believe you if you said, you know, do you ever like, it's possible to have, be here conscious but not thinking. So they're not aware of the, that dimension um, which ironically, you know, people kind of very simple people, you know, put it politely or whatever, um, would be more intimate with just naturally, but they might not know what it is or, you know, kind of more, more average intelligence people, you'll encounter this maybe during music, like where you just, ah, oh, you're just there 
or during you know eating or making love or um, watching a sunset or something or some you know um, or exercising um, so where you know or doing something thrilling where you're kind of get into the moment and you leave your um, thinking mind um, but then if you train that and if you develop that that's what spirituality is really all about real spirituality it's not like wearing beads and you know you know, making towers out of crystals and stuff, although, you know, there might be a place for some of these things. But, um, but like, at the heart of it, the whole thing about spirituality is it's a very, you know, it's very serious and it's not very serious. But but it's as serious as anything, you could say. Like, um, um, and in a way, it's more serious than everything else. But the heart of it is very playful um, and blissful. But, but it's about sanity and it's about waking up. And a large part of that is about being able to step outside of uh, the intellect and to be able to use the intellect as a tool. So um, that can sound kind of threatening to a Western-based like intellectual, like from that tra the tradition of like, oh, no, that's when we get into, you know, um, woo-woo or whatever the word is, you know. Um, but uh, the idea of that it's superstition or people believe whatever. If you don't have the intellect then to guide it, then, you know, all hell breaks loose. And in a way, that, that could be true. Like, I'd say, uh, you know, there's definitely a place for the intellect, but it needs to be balanced. And you can go off into crazy territory if you're not careful about thinking. And that's what I'm trying to do today. We're going to talk about is how to know what's going on, with, you know. But so a big thing is that creating, using uh, mindfulness or, you know, spirituality, uh, whatever you want to call it, um, uh, awakening, you know, uh, to create space as often as you can in so where you just kind of exit the stream of time and you're just here in the present moment and um, yeah create a little bit of space like I just tricked you into there like this oh space is nice so that I think is like fertilizer for your mind basically you can think much more clearly when you um, give it enough rest, you know, you kind of give that space around it. So that'd be one thing I think for, for, you know, critical thinking and seeing clearly uh, it's very, it's essential to have a balance of thinking with just feeling or just being so you can connect to your breath, etc. Episode seven on awakening. I go into some detail, I think on, well, definitely on um, how to do that um, as best as I understand how the process works. So that would be one thing. Now, um, to the heart of what we're doing today, I'm going to give you basically. Um, I'm going to give you give you some practical kind of ideas. You know, probably maybe you do a bunch of these things already, or maybe and then fine, cool. It's re refreshing, you know, refining your um, that in your mind, um, or maybe you know you haven't like really been exposed to these ideas before. In which case, this is. I'm like, hey, look, there's a door over there. What's through the door, man? Go look. Go look through the door. And it's kind of exciting. Um, so, but yeah, my goal here is to keep this kind of practical. Um, so, you know, I'd encourage you to go look up online. Um, apparently there's some verb, like oligarch it. You can oligarch it or uh, skynet it. There's some sort of term, but I say look it up anyway. Um, you can look it up on the internet and... Um, like, you know, cr critical thinking, um, principles of critical thinking. And, you know, so there'll be people who can explain it much better than me. 
um, but uh, or much better than I can without notes. But um, I'm here just going to try to give you some like little uh, nuggets of just you know food for thought. Um, so yeah, so first of all, uh, there's a critical thinking means to it doesn't mean to criticize everything. It means to critique everything. So you question everything. You don't just take information for granted and don't just assume it's true. So uh, now that raises a few questions. First of all, that raises the question of, uh, well, what's the balance between um, just, can you question everything? Is there not a balance where you need to just trust to a certain extent? And yeah, there is a balance. So that's a good question. And then, um, how? What can you trust? How? How can you know what's real? What's? What is the method of knowing what is valid? If we are going to think for ourselves, and I think this is crucial at this point in history, especially in the West, that people start thinking for themselves, because um, a lot of the institutions are getting infected with what you could call insanity, um, or kind of, kind of like a social contagion of um, ideological zealotry whereby, you know, there's these kind of echo chambers and, you know, tunnel vision um, going going wild, mixed in with corruption and short-term profit-seeking, um, so causing some serious threats. So, uh, which is, you know, also an opportunity for growth. But, but I think it's very important, both for your personal fulfillment and happiness, but also for, like, the very, you know, survival of our civilization and the flourishing of our civilization. It's very, it's a great thing we can do to start applying critical thinking more and more um, for ourselves and then also in communication with people. Um, but so, yeah, so, okay, what's the balance between just trusting stuff and then questioning? That's one question we will look at. Then the second question is uh, how do we know, like what is the system? How do you know what's real um, and right? Uh so that's a good question. Um, and like what's – so in other words, we could break that into two halves kind of. What's, what are valid um, methods of um, uh, logic and what are invalid methods of logic? So that would be called – the latter would be called fallacies, right? And so there's that. And then, um, yeah, kind of thirdly and finally – uh, what are the practical, uh, what are some practical examples of how to, you know, kind of engage with people um, and, and engage with information in a way where we can learn and not get tricked. So, yeah, first of all then, um, the, the balance between trusting and questioning. You can't question everything, but you can. But no, you can't simultaneously question everything, or you shouldn't, I should say. Um like the certain things like, oh, is it all an illusion? That's a good thing to question. Oh, is this all just an illusion? But then it's like, okay, then I should question my questioning. Okay, may maybe it's an illusion. Or maybe maybe the idea that it's an illusion is an illusion. You know, or like maybe it's not an illusion, you know? Um, so, okay, well, if it's 50-50, what am I just going to sit here and think about that all day? And while, you know, the world you know, has burning cities and, you know, wailing babies and stuff. Like, no, I think something inside me is telling me I should get to work and try to 
enjoy my life and try to work to help others be able to enjoy this life. And so, um, yeah, so I would say uh, that that's a simple example of you, uh, there's certain assumptions we have to make um, in order to, uh, just to, there's a, a point of diminishing returns with questioning things. So you question it, and then if it doesn't yield further questions, then okay, what do I think? It can go in the yes pile, the, may, the no pile, or the maybe pile. Is the world and is existence some sort of illusion? Yeah, maybe. Okay, put it in the maybe pile. Is it, but is it practical to keep thinking about it? Well, no, right now it's not. Maybe it will be at some point, but right now, no, I don't need to keep thinking about it. Okay, now I, I don't have enough logic to justify that, oh, what should I do? So you just kind of wing it, you know, follow, okay, what, what feels right to me? But so in pursuing, trying to be logical, you know, there's a place for just, you know, intuition and just feeling like, well, I feel like these, you know, crying babies are probably deserve a presumption of existence rather than a presumption of, oh, no, you're probably an illusion, right? Um, or are all my friends actors? Is it like solipsism? Am I the only real person? Maybe, <laughs> you know, um, but, you know, that's going to think about the consequences of having that point of view kind of leads to a not such a beautiful existence. So, okay, well, I don't have enough information here. So I'm just going to assume that we're all real. And that way, um, you know, you know, if I'm wrong and they're all actors, all right, whatever, fine. I'm living my life and being a good person. It's a good story. Um, but if they're not actors, then if I were to assume they were, that would be like a terrible act of shameful um, faithlessness. And not to mention just kind of boring, not doing anything, you know, or like kind of getting distracted. So, okay, think about it. Oh, interesting. And then move on. All right. You know, um, uh, is the world run by lizard men? Maybe. <laughs> Do I have enough evidence? No. Okay. Throw that in the maybe pile. Um, and you can lean one way or the other. And if you want, you could look like... That's a thing where I, I've, I've kind of felt like, well, I think there's more beneficial things for me to think about. And I used to think that was totally crazy. But upon reflection, it's like, what do we actually know? If we're honest with ourselves, it's not a great deal. We don't know a great amount of things. So I would say it's, it's possible the world's run by some aliens and we just, you know, they're just kept out of sight because that would spook everyone and then it's easier to control people by keeping it behind the curtain. Um... You know, plenty of crazy things have happened in history. But, uh, you know, I haven't been drawn to go look into that deeply. So I couldn't say, oh, yeah, I've seen this evidence that it rules it out or something, you know. But I go along with my day. I proceed as if, you know, yeah, that's probably not true. But um, but also I think some people will be like, oh, that's ridiculous. You know, of course that's not true, you know. But then that's where I would think, yeah, well, be careful about not questioning enough or like making assumptions because here, okay, maybe it makes no difference whether, you know, the world's run by little, you know, green men or whatever. Um, but, uh, the, the, the ways in which you, um, approach one, this question will probably be mirrored in other questions. So, oh, is this person lying in my business dealings or is this politician trustworthy? Um, 
you want to be in general leaning towards questioning everything because there's more damage in not questioning enough than in questioning too much. So maybe you, you looked into some crazy theories and later on you're like, all right, well, that was, yeah, that was, I was wrong about that. And you, you want to make sure you don't go too far into, you know, some confirmation bias and believing in some crazy stuff. But we have to also admit that I think the rise in quote unquote conspiracy theories or theorists and all that is because people are starting to think for themselves more. And that actually is what we need. So it's a, a symptom of a, a good trend. People are starting to think more for themselves than they used to. Um, and honestly, a lot of tragedies through history would have been avoided if people were thinking more for themselves. Nazi Germany, the Vietnam War, um, you know, with the Gulf of Tonkin false flag thing, um, you know, war on terror. Oh, we're going to war on an emotion, are we? Okay. Why are we going to Iraq? Hmm. And a lot of people are already clued on but not enough, it seems, to be able to stop these systems of power from going and launching a war for profit. Um, uh, you know, the COVID situation, um, uh, you know, going back to, you know, reefer madness. Yeah, let's make this herb illegal. Even though, oh, what, it was about to replace, you know, hemp was just about to replace William Randolph Hearst's monopoly via, you know, paper. And the decorticator had, Oh, it was about to innovate and cause this very environmentally friendly product to be brought onto the market and he would have to adapt and lose a monopoly and, you know, he controlled the forests, which he turned into, and he also controlled the paper mills, which he turned the trees into paper and he controlled the newspapers where he turned the paper into newspapers and to a large extent had a huge political influence where he turned the newspapers into public opinion. Um, and so... He shut down the. Um, he made marijuana illegal in the United States. That's just one example where that was way. If people were thinking the way they are these days, that would have been people would have been screaming about it. Um, they didn't have the internet. There was less awareness of um, the amount of tomfoolery we're up against, and so people generally just kind of took it for granted. All right, authority figure says this is what's going on. It must be going on. Um, so I think it's regrettable that. You know, there's people who go too far in believing what I would think are probably uh, wrong um, th things, but but I'd say it's it's we don't want to get rid of that tendency. We just want to um, moderate it and make it more reasonable and make these people be able to say, look, oh, okay, I think you know lizard men run the earth, but be able to say, but would you agree that you don't know for certain that it's possible that they don't, but it just looks like it. Maybe, you know, these theories are being put out there by, you know, just governments just to discredit the opposition or something by making them look crazy. Would you agree that that's possible? And if they say, no, it's impossible, then, okay, we've got a problem. Like, you've gone straight into insanity. But it, um, hopefully they would recognize, well, yeah, technically it's possible. 1% chance or whatever. So that's the kind of thing. I think awareness of critical thinking can allow us to have better conversations like this where we can say, we can get people to kind of um, be able to agree more by sorting through the issues in a more nuanced way where it's not you're wrong and I'm right and we just shout at each other. But um, but yeah, so conspiracy theories, quote-unquote, or whatever, you know, it's just a symptom of... It's like um, a toddler learning to walk, you know? It's a good thing. Yeah, you're falling over. Maybe you're bumping stuff, smashing vases, you know, bruising your knees or whatever. But this is progress. Um, we're starting to walk. We're starting to think for ourselves.
So, sip of tea. So, right. So, how much do we question? How much do we just accept things as um, it is what it uh, take taking it at face value? Uh, so, when you're younger, I guess you need to do that more because you you need to. And look, I won't spend half an hour thinking about that question, but there is a place for um, just accepting what people tell you and trying to trust them because essentially, but I think because we don't have enough time to look into everything, you know? Um, so we are finite beings and we, there are we have many things we have to do. Knowing what's going on in the world is important, at least for a significant minority of the population. I think if you just want to, you know, play sport and hang out and have a good time with your buddies and your family. That's totally reasonable. That's a good life, you know? And if that's what's satisfying to you, then I think that's what you should do. Um, that's what I would do if I were you. Um, but you must acknowledge that that is dependent upon a certain subculture in the society, which is religiously, obsessively paying attention to what's real, what is true. You can call that the intelligentsia or the intellectual class. In our, I'd say, the modern-day West, intellectual kind of has is it like a dirty word almost because a bunch of them are, you know, freaking idiots, I'd say. Um, and, uh, you know, it's gotten very um, classist and uppity and um, unreasonable. But it is a crucial, beautiful organ of society. You need um, the thinkers um, because if you don't, then... There's also the power-hungry subculture, and they're just going to try to take over because they're hungry. You know, people do things to satisfy their hunger. Um, there's a certain subset of humans who, you know, are power-hungry. It's, it's so crazy how sometimes people will think, well, why would people want to take over the world? It's like, uh, okay, go read some history books. There, That's why. Who knows wh what it is in the depths, but we know that's a thing, and this is part of critical thinking, for, it's pattern recognition, right? So, look, this has happened throughout history. Reductio ad absurdum is um, so uh, basically um, reduce something to the absurd. So, okay, if you're right that, you know, the government is always trustworthy. Okay, so then if that's true, um, then throughout time, if they, ha if they in general are trustworthy, then you would expect them logically to be trustworthy in the future and in the past, right? Um, so let's go see. And then, oh, but if they're trustworthy, then why were they lying to the public here, 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 and here? Oh, maybe your premise that the government is always trustworthy is wrong because it seems to co be contradicted by some other things we know. Which do we know stronger? The government can always be trusted or... Um, let's say, uh, what's the one, Operation Northwoods it was a real thing where the American government planned, uh, military planned to launch false flag attacks against itself via um, blowing up an airline um, drone and making it look like it was um, full of American civilians um, and attacking Guantanamo Bay themselves and um, a few things like this and blaming it all on uh, Cuba in order to um, launch an invasion of Cuba which they, the military wanted. JFK, it was all set to go, just needed JFK's signature, and he refused to give it. So it didn't happen. Um, so that's a fact. We know that for sure. We've got the documents online. You can look it up. Um, so 
which do we know more? That is true, or the American government, uh, uh, not the American, but just governments in general can always be trusted. Oh, okay, clearly Northwoods thing, that we know for sure. The other thing is more like, you know, well, where's the evidence for that? Seems to be contradicted by some other things. So you weigh things up and you go, okay, well, I guess my original premise was wrong because otherwise it w it wouldn't you wouldn't see these examples of um, abuses of power, etc. So, but we'll talk more about that in a moment. But basically, the idea of how much can we trust? I think the ideal way to do it, I think, is you cultivate your own awareness, right? Meditate as much as you can, for one thing, like we mentioned. But um, it's difficult. I mean, I think you need to um, find people who you can trust. And so, so there are certain people like, say, Joe Rogan, um, Aubrey Marcus, um, Jordan Peterson. Um, I mean, uh, you call it Dave Smith. Um, yeah, I don't know. It depends on the field, you know. Um, Peter Schiff for finance stuff to some extent or whatever, economic stuff. There's all these people who they've got a certain range of competence where I have recognized through pattern recognition, okay, you you make sense of a lot of things. You put them in a very coherent narrative, which has far fewer internal contradictions than other people's. You admit a bunch more things. You, you, so, you know, there's many narratives, say, in the mainstream media, which, oh, they kind of make sense, but they, unless you introduce a certain fact, which totally makes it contradictory now. So people who have more internal cohesion um, with their narratives, their ideas, um, there are fewer contradictions. In general, that's uh, a sign, a symptom, or yeah, an indicator of um, truth, or that it's closer to the truth. Now, we're not going to get at objective truth, except if you stop thinking. That's the objective truth. Look around you. Just the physical presence of the universe. That's, that is truth. The present moment is truth. But what we're talking about in terms of understanding what, you know, what's the nature of this or that or who's doing this and why are they doing it? Um, those kinds of abstractions from the present moment, um, we're not going to get a full picture ever, but we can just get closer and closer maps of what's going on. Um, and that's all we need, really. That's plenty, you know? And so um, what I do is there's people who, you know, if I they make sense to me and they, especially if they can predict the future, like they say, okay, and so I would say this is going to happen and this, 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 based on their ideas, and then it does happen, um, then that kind of like, all right, that kind of, that makes them more credible. Um, it's explanatory power and predictive power. Um, but then say someone who they say something's going to happen and then it doesn't, and they start explaining it away, then that's where, okay, maybe, you know, we have to take what you're saying with a grain of, uh, of salt, you know, a pinch of salt maybe you're not as clued on as I thought. Um, when people are wrong about something and they admit that they're wrong, that's also a very good sign. Okay, so they're an open system. They're taking in more information and they're willing to adjust their ideas. They're not attached to their ideas. That's good. That's healthy. If people double down and pr start to try to distract things and you know avoid admitting that they were wrong, then that's dangerous and that sh that's a, a red flag of like, okay, you're probably unreliable. And so then if I find someone who I've been kind of thinking was reliable and then that happens, then I have to kind of go through and go, okay, what else, 
what have I kind of taken on board from this person, perhaps without filtering it carefully enough, where it may have become a belief I have, because um, they they're actually an impure filter, you know, of information. You want someone who's giving you their honest opinion. They may have an opinion. They probably do, um, or they definitely have an opinion. But they're probably their opinion is probably coloring their presentation of information. Everyone's, including mine. But people who are trying to be honest about their opinions and they're trying to give you more than anything, they're trying to give you um, facts or you could say potential explanations. Um, like say I did an episode on COVID and I talked about the mainstream view. This is what they say happened. These are some other possibilities which seem to incorporate more data into them and they have fewer contradictions. So which one do you think is more real? So I'm presenting both of them. I'm not trying to hide one, you know? So I have my opinion and it's pretty obvious what it is, but um, on some things, I don't have a fixed opinion on other things, but um, there's certain things where it's gonna come from the maybe pile to the yes pile or the probably pile. Um, and so, you know, but I'm accepting and admitting the limits of my knowledge and letting you decide what you think. Um, that's the kind of filter, that's a good filter for information. And so people like that, I try to cultivate them and help me so they do a bunch of legwork and I can kind of absorb the distilled product of what they've um, been filtering through their own consciousness. Then I, that's what you're doing with me right now. I'm doing that. I've been doing that, thinking about things my whole life and then now putting it out here and you can kind of take it on board um, as, okay, hmm, interesting. Is there anything to that? And, you know, critical thinking means don't just, you know, of course, you're not just going to assume what I'm saying is true or useful. You should be filtering it all. It's like a whale, right? So the <laughs> the whale uh, just opens its big mouth, and then uh, all the seawater flushes in, and then it closes its mouth, and it its bristles. You know, I'm doing making a bristles with my hands here. They kind of like you know two intermeshed toothbrushes. They um, create a kind of wall which water can be, then be flushed out of, but the krill which it wants to eat get trapped and stay inside, and then the whale eats the krill. So it kind of takes it all in and then puts it through this filter, and all the good nutritious stuff stays there, and all the useless seawater gets flushed out. So that's basically um, roughly, <laughs> not exactly. What's happening with critical thinking uh, when it's functioning properly is you, and so this would be a, a practical thing um, you can do, I think, to be more logical when you're uh, engaging with ideas and people, whether it be through someone's talking to you or you're reading, is to really listen to them and try to imagine um, that what they're saying is true. And don't just be immediately trying to think, okay, what are the holes in this thing? No, first try to you know, hear them out and try to see how it might be true. And then things where you think like, I guess it's useful to be going, oh, but that seems like a problem. Okay, but set it aside for now. And try to th imagine how they might be right and try to see the strengths of their argument um, and go, okay. And then, so you, you take it all in basically. You're not shutting it down immediately. Let it all in, like the whale, you know? And people are afraid of doing that because they think they're going to lose their minds or get tricked or something. And if you're at a very low level of intelligence, then, and look, I'm not judging anyone. I think we're all, you know, the same branches and the same tree. I'd be judging myself if I was to judge another. 
like, you know, I'm not very good at a bunch of things. So I don't feel bad about that. You know, I feel like, okay, well, I'm good at all these other things. So that's fine, you know. Um, and I can get better at a lot of things if I want to. So it's beautiful, great game, you know, like uh, there's no problem there. And that frees you up to acknowledge and to praise and um, admire, genuinely admire and appreciate other people's um, triumphs. But nonetheless, to be able to do that, you have to also admit other people's failings. And so, you know, and that's the, I think you can have the deepest kindness and the deepest admiration for people when you can have an objective view and admit like, yeah, that person's really bad at this. They're really good at that though, you know? Um, so, so people who, you know, the universe hasn't blessed them with great cognitive power. So their soul is just as powerful as anyone else. It's just, you know, their consciousness, they are the universe, they are life experiencing itself from the inside out. And yet, um, in terms of being able to apply their mind to problem solving and mapping out the territory in order in in terms of what's right, what's a good idea to do, and what's real, you know, so values and beliefs, you might say, um, is and ought be. So, uh, or is and ought, you could say. Um, so, if you've got like uh, if you're have less cognitive power, less ability to apply your mind through with cr uh, critical thinking, then, yeah, I guess there is a danger of getting tricked. Um, but then uh, you're probably not going to be thinking about these things very much anyway. Um, you're probably going to be acting more upon intuition, and that's fine. Um, I think the real key is if uh, what who I'm talking to now are people who are free thinkers. Um, I encourage anyone um, to try to become a free thinker, and if you're you feel like you're not an intellectual, you can if you if you feel like oh that would, that seems beautiful, then you know read more and um, you know don't you know put limits on yourself, you know see if you can um, kind of expand your mind and you know like we're all we're babies and we're all growing you know, um, and I don't believe in labeling people in general, so I think there's a time and place for labels, but in general it's not a good idea, it gets in the way of things. So, but nonetheless, people, I think if you're thinking about these things, if you're even listening to me right now, then you don't have to be worried of getting infected by like crazy ideas. Um, what you should really be worried about is, well, there's one idea that's very infectious, which you should be afraid of. And that's the idea that you should be worried about new ideas. The idea that you're going to get overwhelmed if you allow, open your mind to other information. That's like a virus, which that's a Trojan horse, which is just going to, set up a bunch of blind spots and that are going to be really troublesome for you where you're going to forget that you've forgotten, you know, and you're going to downward spiral of decreasing consciousness because you've set in, I, I mean, I don't know how that works exactly. I, I'd imagine you could get out of that, but um, where, you know, you're kind of um, lying to yourself and I don't know, hope, you'd hope you wouldn't get used to that. Um, but, you know, I think you can listen to anybody um, whether you like them or not, and, you know, try to imagine that they're right. And then, after you've done that, okay, you say, oh, yeah, they could be right with this, so that's a good point, or, or, or and that there, mm, well, I don't, it kind of seems kind of crazy, but is there any truth to that? Or maybe this tiny thing there, that could be kind of true. So you notice things you wouldn't otherwise notice, because you're not, instead of shooting it down, because, oh, that thing doesn't make sense, shoot it down. So, no, no, you take it in and you see, 
Is there anything of value? Okay, great. And then you critique it. You try to sh break everything down. So you've tried to take it in and b build it up, see how it makes sense. Now you try to break it down and um, with logic. So you go, okay. And then we'll talk in a minute about some specific strategies, but um, you, you test it, you know, and then whatever's left after you've bombed it, <laughs> basically, then, okay, that withstood the, the assault of my logic against it. I couldn't find holes in it. Okay, I guess for now it's, you know, either it's in the maybe pile or it's in the probably pile or the yes pile, you know, um, or it's in the no pile if it, you know, got broken down. But so there's that process of allowing everything in, try to, which mean, includes trying to see, imagine it's true and see, you know, steel man the argument as opposed to straw manning it. Make it the strongest version you can and then see if you can prove it wrong. And then you might learn something by doing that. Um, and then, uh, you know, in university, I wrote an essay about why whether drugs should be legalized. And I was going to write, like, you know, no, of course the whole drug shouldn't be legalized. Then in studying it, I was keeping an open mind and reading things. And at the end, when I had all the information, I was kind of thinking it over. I came to the conclusion that actually they should all be legalized, which was a bit of a surprise for me. But pretty cool, though, because I was like, oh, wow, this is what's happening. This is the process of learning. And so I wasn't attached to the idea. I didn't make it into part of myself and go, oh, no, I can't just have to ignore this now and repress some awareness of, you know, the fact that I'm living a lie. Um, and that I'm, you know, disconnecting myself from my own um, sense-making faculties. But instead just say, I went, okay, well, that's the conclusion. I think actually it, it seems like it does make sense to legalize all the drugs. Um, so, so that's it. You let it all in. Then you can try to shoot it down and prove things wrong, whatever stands after. So that's the basic idea of critical thinking. Um, and so, and you do that yourself as much as you can, but then, um, you know, like we're all busy. So I think for a lot of things, I'll have people who, okay, you're, you're not really knowledgeable about that. You're really knowledgeable about that. This thing, uh, sometimes you're not knowledgeable. So whatever you say, I'm going to kind of filter it extra carefully. Um, or you've got that bias. I've noticed it seems like you miss a few things. I know this is true. And you said the opposite, or you said you weren't sure about it. So then that goes, okay, then maybe... You know, there's other things like that where you're not totally aware. So for some certain piece of information, people, sources of information, I will filter more than others. And so uh, I have that network of people who I listen to through podcasts mostly. Um, but then uh, if someone, if I notice, yeah, someone has lied or someone has made an error, but especially if they've lied, then basically, yeah you know, it takes a lifetime to build trust and a, a moment to break it. So, you know, if I notice someone lying, then kind of like they'd have to go demonstrate some sort of evidence of some huge inner transformation for me to be able to start um, taking on their opinions more seriously again. However, um, you know, there is the genetic fallacy. I know I'm kind of jumping all over the place here, but it's very co kind of complicated. So, the idea of critical thinking. I was hoping to present it a bit more uh, category by category, but I guess this makes sense this way. So one uh, uh, flaw, one error of logic 
is uh, the genetic fallacy where you say, oh, Hitler was a vegetarian, therefore, you know, vegetables are bad, you know, because Hitler killed a bunch of people. Um, so, well, no, that it's, there's plenty of good people who have been vegetarians also. So how does that explain it? That's a reductio ad absurdum. You're, oh, yeah, true. Okay, well, hmm. Okay, maybe actually it's not connected. Maybe someone can be um, a bad person or a crazy person, and yet they could um, have values or beliefs which are actually good. Um, maybe it's not all black and white. Right. So that's the genetic fallacy, is this idea which has been kind of distilled over time that just because someone you don't like has a certain idea doesn't mean that you should immediately um, disregard that idea. Actually, it's completely unrelated. They may have st stumbled upon a correct idea. They might be wrong about almost everything else, but have stumbled upon a, the correct idea here. So you don't want to deprive yourself of that truth because it will improve your life and the world. And the, the life of all those around you. So um, so here, like say someone's lied to me, I won't then presume everything they're saying is wrong, but I will just be more careful. Um, in, and I won't put them on that list of like, oh, you said this? Okay, I'm going to presume it's probably true. It's in the probably pile. There's a, some people where I'll put in the probably pile. Maybe Majid Nawaz says something about, you know, politics. I would go, okay, probably pile. Like, you know... Um, I'm not going to put it in the definitely pile um, unless I can look at it and find you know the evidence. But if I'm busy and I look at something, okay, he's from what I've seen, he's very diligent, very careful, very insightful, um, and he's got a good heart. That's what it seems like to me from what I have seen of him and, and watching him for hours on podcasts, seeing his facial you know um, expressions, and you know here seeing him present information and it linking up with things I already know etc dealing with whatever the limits of his knowledge pattern recognition i've gone okay you know um I, I trust you more or less right so but you could still make mistakes i'll put it in the probably pile um but then there's other people where i bet like, yeah i'm not totally sure if i can trust you so i'll put it in the the maybe pile um possibly pile because you could be trying to mislead me or maybe you have good intentions but you're just less reliable Certain people, I feel like they've got good hearts, but then they're like, yeah, secret space program, man. Like, we're on Mars and stuff. And where I'm like, um, I don't, you could be right, but um, I'm getting this sense, like, I've seen, I saw a few things here and there where, like, seems like you weren't very careful there. It seems like you're a bit relaxed. Maybe you're very tuned into your intuition, but maybe you're not careful enough. And so I felt like, okay, no, I'm going to, you know, keep this filter pretty tight here. Because I can't just assume, I think you've got a good heart, but um, maybe your head's not functioning enough there where you could get tricked. Um, and that's a very common thing for people, good people to be tricked. So, you know, that's where people might say, no, that person's really good. They're really good. Like, yeah, but I just think, you know, there is such a thing as um, good people who um, get tricked and who are too uh, lax with their critical thinking. So... So that, um, yeah, so yeah, cultivate this network of people who can provide you, save you time by providing you shortcuts to um, awareness of what's going on. Um, and you cultivate them. You're, so you've got your direct relationship with knowledge, 
But then when you find other people who are trying to find knowledge and grow and understand, you can use them as a time-saving mechanism, but you, you must keep uh, assessing them diligently to notice, um, you know, do you need to downgrade their position in your mind and kind of therefore increase the filters on them and go, okay, do I need to be more careful with it? that source of information? That goes for newspapers, you know, New York Times, like, yeah, let's go invade Iraq, sure. Or, you know, all the COVID stuff, like all this stuff, like science says we need to do this, follow the science. It's like, um, this uh, follows a pattern of totalitarianism, actually, this whole thing. And um, the science says, you know, vitamin D, take vitamin D. That's the main thing. And yet it's never mentioned. Cut obesity. Change your lifestyle. Start sleeping better. Don't be so afraid. Be careful, but don't be afraid as much as possible. Be f fearless. You, you, know, you won't be able to be fearless, probably, most, but, but be as fearless as possible but careful and make good decisions. No, you didn't hear that. You just heard, oh, be afraid, be very afraid. Oh, it's all going to, you know, you're weak, you're sick, you're going to get, and that's the placebo effect working in the negative form, so the nocebo effect. So that's actually for sure causing illness. So there's all these crazy things where like, oh, my critical thinking goes, okay, I'm not just going to assume it's right just because you're an authority. That's another um, illegit logical move, appeal to authority. But the World Health Organization says it's true. It must be true. Well, actually, let's look at um, if that was true, if authorities were always telling the truth, we should expect to find that through history, yeah? Oh, look here, 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 here. There are countless examples of authorities not telling the truth, not only being wrong by accident, but being wrong on design, by design, on purpose. So governments lying to people to get into wars and all this sort of stuff. And... Um, so actually, no, you can't, that's actually logicians say, no, just because um, you can't say, oh, this is true because this really cool guy says it's true. No. The most you can say is this person, this organization have a great track record of predicting things correctly and explaining things clearly and accurately with a very small number, comparatively very small number of internal contradictions or um, gaps in knowledge. They have a very detailed, accurate, useful, and usable map of the terrain of the world in terms of what is like reality and what ought. So, you know, how do we, what decisions should we make? Um, you can say, yeah, they're great. they've got a great track record. Therefore, maybe the things they say should be put in the probably pile. That's, I'd say, the highest you can give them instead of just being in the no pile cause not, or the probably not pile or the possibly pile. Because there's certain people where they go in the probably not pile, for me. Like, if I see, you know, CNN talking about something related to politics, um, I go, okay, I need to look into that more, but it's in the probably not pile. Because I've seen them lying on countless occasions, and I've caught them in the act. Um, you know, not just, not personally, but like seeing someone else talks about it. Um, some, occasionally, yeah, some things, yeah, where I know, oh, that's, I, I know for a fact what they're saying is not true. Or others where I've, you know, some of these people, podcasts are listening to and then people are talking about it. And then I check it out and go, well, that's true. There are, you know, here they have been caught um, lying, you know, um, or in error. And so there are certain, yeah, organizations or people who would be in the probably not pile when they say things on certain issues because it's pattern recognition, you know. Um, and they might be right this time, but most likely they're wrong. 
And until further notice, until I have the time to look into it, I'm going to assume this. I'm going to assume they're wrong or I'm going to assume they're right in, if they have got a good track record. Um, so, yeah, appeal to authority doesn't work. Um, uh, even in the, the best case scenario, it's just a probably right. It's never definitely right. Definitely right. It's a, a funny thing. I mean, there's very few things I think we can be definitely sure of. Uh, maybe we'll finish with that at the end. But um, so another sip of tea. So basically we talked about um, the idea of, you know, how much should you trust? How much should you question? In general, question as much as you can while still being functional in the universe, I guess. Um, you know, you need to have certain presumptions and assumptions and then you work from that. And then maybe in, in certain times you can go, okay, now let's question this assumption we've been making. But maybe in other situations, okay, we'll control that variable. Let's go, you know, like a running experiments. Let's um, control this variable. Let's assume that, you know, the government, you know, isn't run by aliens or whatever. And let's go, okay, change these other variables and see what happens and focus on something else. Um, and so, you know, it's very important when you're discussing things to be able to run these thought experiments with people where you go, okay, I know you think this, but let's just say that that's not true for a moment. Let's go study this other side of the network, you know, um, and vice versa. Me saying, okay, I think you're wrong about that, but all right, I'll go with you. Let's presume that what I think is wrong. Okay. Let's go analyze some other part of the node. If that's true, then that would be true in that. And then we, can, we might be able to make some progress on some other aspect where if I said, no, but I disagree with that premise of yours, we might never even get to have that progress by analyzing some other little aspect. Um, so, and then I talked about, um, you know, people with a certain element of instinct and kind of intuition and just going by feeling of what feels right to me. And I do believe that silent space of consciousness behind, um, you know, your <laughs> behind the thinking um, is very intelligent and can often tell you what's going on and what's right. And you, you've got the gut instinct to say, don't go down that dark alley, etc. And the gut, by the way, does is full of neurons. Like the nervous system is the solar plexus, right? Um, there's a, a lot of neural neural networks there. So it seems like actually, and the chakra systems talk about that, you know, the, what's that, the third chakra? But uh, so it seems there is intelligence in your body for sure, definitely, and it runs your whole body, the cells and everything. So intelligence, we're just kind of talking about intellectual intelligence here, but there is a place for intuition and, oh, what do I think? Who do I believe in? You know, it seems like the evidence pretty equally weighed here or here. Sometimes there's a place for, you know, just going by feeling, what feels good. Um, and, um, but, and then by people, do you trust people? I look in people's eyes and I think often by looking in people's eyes, um, you can actually see often if some people are untrustworthy, I think you can definitely see it in their eyes. And likewise, trustworthy, but not always. But I'd say that's some evidence. That would be intuition at work, I suppose. Um, and then, you know, been mentioning kind of piecemeal here and there some, uh, you know, aspects of logic and how to detect things. But let's get into um, the legitimate um, moves of logic and how to do it, and then the the illegitimate. So, legitimate. Okay, basically, I mean, 
and again, you can look up this up online if you want detailed stuff, but I'll just give you some little things which I think are pertinent and kind of important that I think about and apply. So, you know, syllogisms, like that's a very basic, I guess, example of how logic works. So it'd be useful just to to know the idea of like, what, you know, you say logic's this thing. What I don't even believe in logic. I think that's a construction of the patriarchy or something. It's like, well, that's a good question. Like, how do we know how we know things? How do we learn, you know? Um, so if we say, okay, yeah, there are, if we first admit that there is objective truth, which some people say, you know, it's all relative. But then I think, okay, A, that seems like chaos. That seems like a recipe for chaos. How can we play together? How can we engage and work together if we have these different universes, we think? Um, so I think just feasibly, uh, in terms of feasibility, it that's not a great idea. Um, but secondly, it doesn't seem to make sense. It seems to be full of contradictions. So this is a primary part of um, logic is um, that which contradicts itself is probably wrong. Now you might say, oh, no, I believe that things can contradict themselves. You know, light's a particle and a wave. Like, well, yeah, there are paradoxes, fair enough. And maybe oh, to become spiritually awakened, you need to conquer and you need to surrender. But that doesn't make sense. Actually, it does make sense, but just we're using different meanings of the word. So conquer in terms of assert your sovereignty and become the master of your mind, maintain vigilance of consciousness and kind of let your energy flow, uh, flow forward and uh, rise. But then also surrender in terms of, you know, let that which you can't control, you know, quote unquote, overwhelm you and just let it. And that by not raising any defense, you will actually maintain control of your consciousness. Um, if you try to defend, that's actually the ego trying to defend and you get wrapped up in knots because you're trying to fight the inevitable. So I'm afraid of something. Oh, I'm going to resist it. And then that's that fear is actually part of the ego structure. So that'd be an example where you need to assert and, you know, uh, let go. So it's a paradox. But it's, it actually does make sense, though. It just It's not a contradiction. It's a paradox, which is something that looks like a contradiction, but it's actually not. Um, it's just a, a tension um, between um, two truthful aspects of something. So, but, so if you say, you know, oh, yeah, I believe contradictions are fine. Okay, but most people don't. So these are some ways we know things are probably true. Consensus. Consensus of scientists believe blah, blah, blah. Doesn't mean it's true, but it is something. Usually it's true. Consensus of people think the earth is round. Okay, it's probably round, right? So consensus is, um, but a consensus of people, of scientists say that, you know, the governments who give them their funding for their studies and they're chronically underfunded, um, you know, like a majority of these scientists say this thing about global warming. Um, I don't assume it's true. I question it because I think, well, you know, what's the harm? And then I, I do question it and I find, oh, that's contradicted. Al Gore's thing didn't mention that temperatures were much higher 12,000 years ago. You look at Randall Carlson's work and, oh, temperatures have gone way up and down in pretty recent history. And throughout Earth's history, it's always been going up and down. We've had ice ages. Oh, so what's all, why didn't he mention that? Okay, interesting. Uh, why aren't, or, you know, 9-11 stuff, why are certain aspects of that never mentioned? Like Tower 7. What's got, there was this whole other tower that went down. It wasn't even in the official reports. 
What's most damning about it is the government's silence, not mentioning it. That's the most suspicious thing. If they had a good ex explanation, that would, okay, that would be something. But th just ignoring it, oh, interesting. Okay, maybe they're being untruthful. So there's all these patterns you can recognize, to bring it back to the point here, um, that go, okay, well, um, you know, what this, say, panel on climate change, whatever, I'm not going to take your word for sure. Um, just because there's a consensus of people here who say something, there's many people who disagree. And it is often the case in history where a small, a minority of experts or a minority of people are actually correct. A minority of scientists 400 years ago or whatever believed the earth was round and yet the consensus was wrong, the minority were correct. So we can go, okay, if consensus was always right, then Galileo would have been wrong. But Galileo wasn't wrong. We can measure it through all these things. So therefore, the consensus is not always right. This would be reductio ad absurdum, right? You're going following it to its logical conclusion. If it creates a ridiculous situation, then you know some, there was some mistake earlier in the process. Just like doing maths, you know, and you can go, oh, I got some crazy answer. I must have made a mistake earlier in the process somewhere. So, and everything else is correct. So, okay, by process of elimination, this thing here must be wrong. Consensus isn't enough to guarantee that it's true which of course makes sense intuitively. It's very useful to go between intuition and intellect back and forth um, to kind of like the samurai blade, you know, bending it back and forth, strengthening, um, strengthening it. So, um, so can, but nonetheless here, it is something it, in general, if there's, when there's a consensus, it is some evidence that probably more than 50% likely it's true. Uh, unless there's some other mitigating factors that come in, like political, you know, oh, this would be very useful for political gains, or whatever. Okay, then maybe. You know. So, um, consensus of people would say, yeah, if you've got a bunch of contradictions, no, that you can't have contradictions. That's that's ridiculous. We don't agree, um, and it's it's impractical, etc. Okay, we could go on, but there's a bunch of reasons to think that okay, um, there's this established principle that we can get things done in the world and we can solve our problems and we can exploit opportunities and kind of map out the terrain of what is and what should be by basing upon the system of logic where, okay, um, you can never, you would need logic to justify logic, right? It's like a dictionary is defining itself. All the words and the definitions are within the dictionary already. Nonetheless, it is useful to us to, to use logic. And so, for various reasons, we have built up this system, which is a tool of mapping um, to reality. And it's not perfect, but it is very useful. And so it says, you know, contradictions are a sign of bad logic, you know, or like non-logic, right? Um, so, uh, yes, so that would be one thing, right? So there is a structure, but then how do we know? Okay, but then if we accept, okay, fine. You know, there is a structure to truth. There is one truth, and we can have many maps of it, but there is one terrain which we are mapping. Okay, that's progress, right? Um, you know, uh, think like um, a bunch of people these days, you know, what do you call that? Like cultural Marxists or whatever, or um, uh, postmodernists, et cetera, wouldn't even agree with that. They say, no, it's all just wish wash. It's just, you know, it just doesn't make sense. And it's not useful anyway. You can't build a civilization on that. So, Discarding it. Good luck to you, gentlemen and ladies. So, how dare you say we're a binary? Um, so, 
what is the structure of logic? How do we know what is valid um, approach to truth and what isn't? So that there, that question is very useful, and that's what the basis of logic is. It's um, epistemology. How do we know what we know? And so that question itself is kind of like, you know, a, a microcosm of it. Like, how do we know anything? How do we? The first thing we need to learn is how do we learn? And so we look at the evidence, we look for patterns, um, and basically we notice, oh, when things have fewer contradictions in the theory, it's more useful to us and it creates benevolent outcomes. Okay, that's good. Um, oh, um, the certain other patterns, like there's these fallacies, right? The genetic fallacy. Oh, um, when we, we killed that guy because, or like we, we didn't do this thing because someone we don't like suggested it. But then it turns out someone we do like is using it and it looks fine. Okay, so we made a mistake before. We thought because, you know, that guy we don't like suggested it, it was a bad idea. But now someone we do like is using it and there's no problem. Okay, so maybe there's no connection between, you know, uh, the someone who says something and the thing itself, right? Um, you can be, yeah, as we mentioned. So that's something that gets incorporated. Okay, so... Um, it is fine. There's no problem there to ha have someone you disagree with in general have a good point. So we, we can't rule it out, you know. Um, if they're totally ranting and nuts, then maybe you don't want to pay attention to them. But you should be aware that they may have useful material for you, especially if they are in, um, quite intelligent, even if you think they're a bit disconnected from wisdom. So, and then we mentioned reductio ad absurdum, ad, ad, ad absurdum, being able to notice like that pattern, like oh, okay, we can figure things out with that, like you know this this tool of noticing lead if le things lead to a ridiculous conclusion, then we can know it's it's not true, right? Like oh, okay, there's no way that's true because in that case that would mean this, but that's not the case. And so we develop these little list of tools. Uh, what else uh, is there? Um, so genetic fallacy, uh, straw man fallacy where you say, oh, you are, um, uh, you, you present the weakest version of an argument possible and then shoot it down. You go, ha look at that. I, you know, I tore down your weak, stupid argument. But then, well, yeah, but that wasn't actually my argument. You told me this is what I'm saying, but that's not what I'm saying. You go, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, stop crying. That's pointless. What's the point of that? If you want to get to truth, if you want to actually understand things, then you should give the strongest version of their argument because one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to prove them wrong and you're going to refine your own ideas and in the, the fight, like exercise, you're going to strengthen yourself and strengthen your ideas and make them clarified or else you're going to learn something um, and go, oh, actually, I gave, made the strongest version of their argument I could and lo and behold, I think, wow, drugs actually should be legalized. Um, and wow, great, I've been liberated from an illusion. I thought this, I went through the process of open-minded exploration combined with critical thinking, and um, boom, like I am now closer to um, a clear lens on truth. Um, and it would likely be a mix of those things where you learn some things and other things you'd still disagree with. So, um, and yeah, so there's many other fallacies you, um, to be avoided there, uh, or um, what do you call it, uh, ad hominem, attacking the man, which is kind of similar to genetic fallacy, but someone's maybe, you know, making you look bad because they're, you know, showing how your ideas don't make sense, 
And then you're like, yeah, but, well, you're a, you know, you're a degenerate drunk and you just hang out, you know, you, it's like, okay, what's that got to do with anything though? Because the, the of the genetic fallacy, the nature of that person really doesn't have an effect on their ideas. So what you're actually trying to do is trying to besmirch someone with a, an appeal to primal emotion. You're trying to hijack the logical process um, by bringing in the reptilian brain and the disgust or fear or um, anger impulses to try to make um, someone become illogical in order to win them over to your ideas so that you can get what you want in the world. Um, so, so these are some examples of fallacies. Now, the syllogism, which I was mentioning, um, which is the basic structure of like a, a logic, how it does work, is, okay, A is B, B is C, therefore A is C. So, um, let's say, um, trees burn. We can notice this. Um, paper is made of trees. Okay, it's just trees. That's all it is. Therefore, so A is B and B is C. Therefore, A is C. Um, trees, uh, so paper burns. Paper will burn. Paper is a kind of thing which can burn. Even if you've never seen paper burn, if you've seen trees burn, and if you've seen that you know trees are turned into paper, then you can be very sure that unless there's some sort of other factor going on, yeah, paper burns. And then maybe, okay, you test it, and lo and behold, correct, right? And so people go, okay, right, so this would be a very simple example, but where we can go, all right, this is a real thing. This is a, a way that logic works. And we're codifying these things so that we can apply them to, to very quickly analyze arguments. You read you know, a, a two-page essay someone's written, you can kind of go through and go, okay, what's the main idea here? They're saying they don't think prostitution should be legal because here they're saying it's um, evil and unnatural. Okay, then here they say it, you know, um, it's like slavery. And then here, da, 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 and you can go, okay, well, here they're saying it's evil or unnatural. However, couldn't you say that it's, you know, that, you know, a natural thing that other animals do? Don't didn't chimpanzees do this when they were taught how to use tokens, be exchanged for bananas, and they all started. The males all gave the females their tokens in order to, you know, have a good time. Oh, okay, well, if it's natural, then then maybe that's not totally the case, and you could. Not to say that you're shutting down that argument immediately, but you might say you can then engage with that and say, okay, so they're saying it's natural. But what does natural mean? They need to be clear about that. It's too vague, you know? Oh, and then here, and we need to talk about it because there are some counterexamples which might say it is natural. So what do we mean by natural? And you could go back and forth there um, and get into it and maybe learn something, um, maybe find a point of agreement. Um, and then the thing, oh, that, you know, it's like a slavery thing. You might say, well... Why is it slavery? There's a missing premise there. You just jump to that. They say, well, because if the, you might, they might say, oh, if, you know, the women try to leave, then um, the pimps, you know, will like attack them or whatever, or they keep them there. Or there's, you know, it's well known that there's human trafficking for this. And then you might say um, in response, okay, good. Your argument's getting clearer there. So that the the logical things are being fleshed out there. You've added steps before you had jumped a few steps. Now you've put in the step. Okay, actually, yes, because of you know the human trafficking or the pimps being controlling, and then you might reply to that and go, okay, well, 
in the spirit of getting to the bottom of things. Go, okay, yeah, I can see that. Um, but aren't there some women who choose to do it? So doesn't that, maybe you're not talking about prostitution in general, but just about prostitution, um, you know, maybe your real problem is with slavery, not with prostitution. Maybe that's just one example of what happens when you have slaves. And that, you know, maybe in a world with no slavery, people would be able to choose to be prostitutes if they want. Um, and maybe that would be okay if it's voluntary. And then the person might go, well, okay, I agree that if it's voluntary, that's a different thing. And so you can make progress there. You're by ignoring all the emotion and just the extra stuff of, you know, extra words or turns of phrase and rhetoric, you know, to make be persuasive. And there's a place for rhetoric, for opening people up and keeping them receptive and getting them to engage with your ideas. But logic is the core of it. It's like, what are you saying? How do you know that it's real? And so you can, you know, reduce by learning critical thinking, you can reduce, kind of distill uh, two pages into what's the basic, basic flow of syllogisms and logical flow. They're saying this and this and this, therefore this. And if that's true, well, this other thing is probably true. So therefore, probably this other thing is also true. So you might have one conclusion, which is you're saying definitely true, and another which is probably true. And so this is your contribution to human knowledge. You're saying this is a bit about the terrain we're living in um, and need to navigate to maximize our happiness and health and well-being um, and wisdom. And uh, then people can get reply to it, engage with it. So when we're all trained in this, it's much easier you know, people can say something and you don't need to get distracted by making, accidentally making, you know, um, these fallacies, which we mentioned before. You can kind of just get to the core of, okay, what's the logical skeleton in terms of syllogisms here? Like, what are they actually saying? Um, um, kind of matrix of logic under, um, within it. Um, and then, yeah, you can engage with each other and kind of make progress. Um, and hopefully... Um, there's a balance between cooperation and competition there where you're trying, you might, you need to shoot down certain ideas like, yeah, but you're saying this, but isn't it the case that blah, blah, blah. So you need to be able to question, but then also show respect. And this comes to back to the rhetoric thing, being able to be a, um, especially when you're talking with someone or online, I guess, where it's easy for people to get mad at each other because there's less consequence if you act like a, you know, a fool. Um, uh, there's no threat of physical violence, for example. But uh, I guess in either case, like um, the place for um, civility and being, you know, human decency and kindness in order to keep people, you know, where you might say certain things where I think this isn't really necessary, it's not really relevant to the point, but I feel like some primal emotion of us against them, me against you is rising up in my conversation partner. I'm going to help liberate them from the threat of that emotion by connecting. And I can say, look, I mean, I, I mean, no disrespect to these people who blah, 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 but, but I do think blah, 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 blah. Also, I think you made a really good point about this thing. I think we really agree that blah, blah, blah. And you can mention something you agree on and you might think that it's demeaning or stupid, but, um, but you're trying to, maintain a flow of communication and logic so that we can have a real conversation. And so that also has a place. Um, and that is not um, disrespecting or patronizing the intelligence of your conversation partner, but it's just being honest. Like, well, look, I think there's a bit of primal emotion rising up here. And that's has the 
that poses a risk of derailing the logic. So, um, and maybe that could happen to me too. You can admit that, you know. And so just try to keep it open. And so there's that balance of um, give and take there, of pushing but not pushing too much, trying to find a balance where you can have a real communication and learn. So um, what else about the mechanics of actual logic working properly? So I mentioned, yeah, lack of, in, uh, uh, lack of um, contradictions and an internal consistency. Um, and it explains more things than other theories with, um, I guess you could say, with a minimum of uh, internal contradiction. And if it has, expl uh, so that's explanatory power to describe what's going on, but then also, um, a, you could say, predictive power. Then that adds, oh, you predicted this. Okay, maybe, then that's also relevant because we need to use these to navigate the terrain of life. Um, and then also descriptive and prescriptive. So saying this is a good idea, you should do it. Um, I guess ideas where, yeah, we should, you know, a lot of that I think is trial and error. And I think a lot of the logic, you could make the argument that a lot of what's going on is really trial and error, um, but that logic is kind of a distillation of trial and error, just like stories are distillations of myths, um, which are distillations of countless real events which happened and, um, and so the core lessons the lowest common denominators are being preserved now in these stories which where they've got you characters who are unique enough that they're engaging and interesting like it's something live happening new and yet there's something fundamental and universal enough that it's applicable to many many other people um, and so we love stories for that reason it's very important for learning and just it's fun as well but um so in a similar way, I suppose logic could be said to be the distillation of all these um, experiences of trial and error and things that go well or things that don't go well and situations where, oh yeah, people were applying this type of logic, this system, and it led to this outcome where we totally got something completely wrong, it didn't go how we thought it would, or you know, including for like kind of prescriptive things where it's like this is what we should do and, uh, you know, oh, we you know, um, allowed puberty blockers for um, children. And then now there's thousands and thousands of um, teenagers who are very, very um, unhappy that um, it seems like when they were too young to consent, it seems that certain irreversible procedures have been done to them. So this is something that's happening now. It's very, um, pretty intense. These, you know, girls who say, well, I can't be a girl now because I, you know, whatever my parents were whatever, right? That's a whole other subject, but um, that would be a case where it seemed like, yeah, freedom's a good thing. Let, you know, let people do whatever. Um, but then like, oh, but wait a minute. Now there are these um, people who have had their futures taken from them and um, they've had irreversible surgeries and they can't, so these girls can't become mothers now. But that now their dream is back to the original thing. They want to be a mother. They don't want to be a boy, you know? And so that would be one example where you could make the case, which I would, that, we shouldn't be giving puberty blockers to children and that that should be something when, when you're an adult, if it's, you know, if it's still something you want to do, then you can go do it. But like the whole trans thing for children, it's like, you might not be aware, this is actually a very big issue. It's happening a lot um, ar around the world, um, affecting many, many, many children. I don't know the exact numbers, but I think it's been estimated at perhaps millions, um, at least hundreds of thousands. Uh, so where there's been the permanent surgeries. Um, 
so altering the hormones of children and uh, even surgeries and things. Um, so I would make case like, yep, you can see why you may have prescribed the idea of like, you know, these people will be more comfortable and, you know, they'll have good effects if we kind of get them early on into this other, you know, gender or whatever. But then um, actually with time we kind of realize, oh, there's a, a lot of people who are getting real bad experiences from this and saying that actually, you know, they didn't, now they feel like that all along they had kind of gone in, down some dark path that wasn't what they wanted. Their parents maybe for whatever reason, um, whether it's political, you know, affiliation or sympathies with a certain ideology or frame of um, reference um, that they thought was a good idea. And so, or, you know, there's countless other things. Like we could say, oh, um, we should, uh, what's an example? Yeah, okay, um, we should, uh, in, in Ireland, you know, like enforce Irish in schools, make everyone learn it, and then, it, you know, it turns out like, you know, the language just, you know, didn't flourish at all under that, and that a lot of people resented it, and, you know, like, because it was always being jammed down their throats. So you go, hmm, okay, maybe that's not a good idea. Maybe we should adapt and make it voluntary or whatever, right? So this would be the feedback of trial and error. And I think that applies both for description and prescription with um, logic. And we have these processes, these kind of quote-unquote timeless truths of like, you know, what are fallacies and what aren't. But I think a lot of that is basically the core of these experiences of trial and error with the universe um, and the results we get, which we like or we don't like. So now for using this, okay, so <laughs> um, one example would be like when you're learning something, you know, I think anytime I think uh, I want to learn something, okay, what is true? And I don't know. I look up both sides of it. I look up, okay, um, maybe uh, someone says, oh yeah, this um, food, soy is really bad for you. Soy is actually terrible. I go, okay. Um, I don't know who to believe. Um, from my experience, I, you know, in general trust if you can, but, you know, always question. But so, you know, I questioned the dietary, you know, authorities and um, looked up things. And then lo and behold, years and years ago, I found many examples of corruption and lying and, um, and just general mistake and ego, people getting attached to their ideas and defending it as if it's part of themselves, like to the death, they're going to defend their idea. So, um, I said, okay, well, I can't just trust them and their appeal to authority. I need to go figure it out for myself. How do I do it? I look up um, harmful or negative health effects, soy. Enter. Look it up. Look at many different articles and see what it says um, and see things where it's being repeated a few times. Okay, well, probably there's some truth to it. Um, it's more likely. Um and maybe someone saying something and they go, okay, yeah, yeah. And then they say something which I know is not true. Uh, okay. Or which I think is probably not true. Then I will go, okay, there are other claims here. I need to put it you know, in su suspension there. Okay. Maybe I'm not sure about that, those points. And maybe even other people have said that point could be wrong because it's mixed in here with this stuff that I know is not true or I think is not true. And then you go through that and you try to figure out, and if you start noticing patterns, okay, these, this thing seems to be said by a bunch of people who make no other errors that I'm aware of. So as far as I can tell, their logic's flawless, then the information is good, and they're all saying that this thing is tr true, this fact. 
okay, then probably that's true. So you try to distill it and you go, now these things, some people said that who, you know, seem like legit, they said it, but also some kind of people who seem to be, you know, their grammar's all off, their spelling's terrible. They're not taking care to avoid these simple mistakes. How do I know that they're not, that they're taking care to know what's true and to do diligent research or whatever it is, or they're saying this thing's true, but then they're also saying other things, which I believe are not true. Okay. So then maybe there's a lower level of stuff where yeah, maybe that's true. And maybe there's some other things which I think, no, nah, that's probably ridiculous. It doesn't make sense. Or only one person mentioned it. This other person mentioned all this other stuff and some insightful things. And their language is very good and beautiful and shows great cognitive capacity to express things so clearly. So probably that cognitive capacity has also been at work during their investigations of um, these topics. And, um, and they, they didn't mention this. So I'd imagine they would have mentioned it if it was a thing. Okay, so probably that's probably not true. Um, so et cetera, you have that thing now, and then you do it the other side, you go, okay, soy, um, beneficial health effects, look it up. Okay, fine. And then, uh, and do the same process. Right. And also, um, why soy isn't bad, you know, uh, or soy, um, uh, harmful debunked, right. And look it up. Right. And so you just go back and forth between the two sides and instead of just going, who's right. Try to read one. Read both of them. Read both of them and see, you know, do that steel manning thing. Try to see how they could be right and then crit critique them and check, you know. And then you go through and uh, compare them. Like, okay, who contradicts who? They said this, but this person said something different. Okay, who's right? And then maybe you'll research that micro topic and go into it. Figure, okay, well, aha, it seems that probably this is the fact. Okay. So that person was wrong. That person was right. Okay. And so then you can start to figure out who's more credible, right? Um, you're figuring out both. What is the balance of, is it definitely not, or definitely yes, or maybe not, maybe yes, probably not, probably yes, etc. The scale of, of credibility or believability, both of ideas and of people who are filtering ideas for you. Um, and so, you do that and you match them up and compare them and you eventually can come to some sort of conclusion of, okay, what's going on with soy or whatever it is. Um, and this is very important because there are countless examples, um, you know, uh, where, you know, people who are meant to be protecting us and being our intellectual class who we can rely upon are, um, are uh, asleep, either asleep at the wheel or, um, you know, uh, captured by um, basically money. Um, money and power, I guess you could say, maybe malice. But there's certain um, institutions where, you know, they there are things they recommend are definitely, I could say, um, insane <laughs> and not good advice. And yet it's being put out in these simplified narratives which exclude all the contradictions with evidence. And they will tell they will accuse their enemies of the things that they do. Like, oh, you're being unscientific, like the COVID thing. So these people are being deeply unscientific, deeply irrational, are accusing everyone else of that. So accusing everyone of misinformation while they mislead the public on health science. Um, and basically, before COVID, there was already a revolution in progress um, in the field of health, returning to holistic understandings of health that the body is, you can't isolate in any system from the body. 
it's all part of one big system and so things affect each other you can't you know use um antibiotics to kill a bunch of bacteria without also killing the good bacteria and maybe causing some other problem so you need to keep in mind the effects on other systems and this is mirrored in our relationship with nature where we think we can just cut down a forest and it's fine but then oh now the the rain stops oh interesting okay it was connected we didn't realize um so there are um there's a great i'd say it's very pretty crazy if, if you're actually applying critical thinking these days it's very it's a really enjoyable story it's a very uh dramatic wonderful movie uh with lots to be learned um and experienced but it there are yeah i, I would say and um probably the majority of um major institutions very big big level institutions there's a lot of uh, have been captured by money by corporatocracy meaning that they're not on your side um or they're not always on your side in certain things they will be sure but um in many cases you cannot rely on them to have full loyalty to you because there could be situations where oh there's a lot of money to be made but we need to say make people do something which isn't good for them or we need to go to war here even though it's going to be terrible for everyone we're going to make a bunch of money let's do it and then the media and whoever tell you to, that oh this is what's right um so and then of course there is still although it's been shrinking under the burden of this um expanding bureaucracy of the state which is kind of using up more and more of our resources and shrinking the civil society um of kind of more um decentralized uh, institutions but nonetheless there are of course still countless institutions which are not captured but um uh the, those that have a, a great influence over our lives and especially those which convey information um many many of those i would say mo definitely most of the large ones are shockingly um uh displaying um a disconnect from um logic and um evidence based thinking um so that goes for major media which are controlled by six corporations lo and behold um these days the vast all you know vast number of me large media outlets are controlled by only six corporations um now that's something where i don't know what those corporations are i may have seen their labels at some point i can't remember but i hear people who i trust saying it you know i hear this person then i hear a new person saying it so i go okay that's probably true um and uh but yeah full disclosure i'm not certain that's true but probably and i you know you know there's limits of memory and there's limits of time like i said the process about looking into soy there's just not enough time to do, not enough time to do this for everything so we do need to trust uh, who can we trust um and you follow you know use your god-given gift for pattern recognition and to figure out who is a reliable um conduit of information um and you try to be the same for others and then hopefully we'll have enough people reliably uh with good faith trying to understand things and share uh, awareness and we can you know have a grassroots healing of these institutions where you know we don't want to tear anything down but like just bringing sanity back to the world because we're at a point where um i think critical thinking on mass you me and dupree everyone uh you know just kind of applying critical thinking and being more careful about what we believe is um the golden ticket to um to uh a normal society 
where um, rather than an apocalyptic society. Um, so because technology and uh, just is expanding um, and uh, consciousness is expanding to this ex- uh, and kind of developing to the extent where um, the shadows of light is being thrown upon the shadows and there's a lot of institutions which say have been making money off of war, etc. where if things just continued as they are for 20 years, the number of people who are aware of the crimes that have been committed is probably going to be untenable for certain people. So there are certain defense mechanisms kicking in, which have been kicking in. So there's a bit of a race between um, awareness and totalitarianism um, and uh, indoctrination um, going on. It has been going on for a while. And um, th- so that's something we can all do is just to um, see as clearly as we can, to speak as honestly and, and clearly as we can, and um, thereby to be part of the, the right side of history where... You can enjoy your life here, but also for our children and our grandchildren, um, all of us are kind of building that sustainable, happy, happy society, um, happy country we can all enjoy. Um, and that goes, I think, for anyone, even people who aren't applying critical thinking or they're applying it, but their hearts are set on dominance of others. Um, you know, someone, whatever, you know, in, in some corporation that's raping the planet or um, some government which is enslaving its citizens, or certain you know global bodies which might be trying to do the same thing. The whole World Economic Forum, you know, uh, you know, escapade with whatever they're up to about you know um, penetrating. You know, Klaus Schwab talking about penetrating cabinets and how he's got you know operatives all over the world in cabinets of you know Justin Trudeau, Macron, and mentions even Putin, the young global leaders. All this stuff. If you're not aware of that, there'll be something to look into. World Economic Forum, very bizarre and interesting, but um, seems like a, a James Bond plot. But there's a bunch of billionaires who think, you know, oh, let's improve capitalism by centralizing, you know, uh, oversight. So the billionaires will make sure that billionaires aren't doing anything wrong. <laughs> and it's like, ah, oh, okay, interesting. But that's a side point. But the, the main thing I think is that um, critical thinking is a very useful way of increasing consciousness. And it is, um, consciousness is more important, like just pure awareness. Um, that's how I see it. I, I really believe that, um, that this is the core of sanity. Um, and yet to be able to engage with reality and map out the terrain in more detail, um, and indeed to be able to engage with those who aren't just feeling or don't have experience with that field of pure love and consciousness and who would go, what are you talking about? That's all nonsense. Um, Engaging with this critical thinking and being able to communicate ideas and kind of map out reality in this sense of, you know, these approximations of the terrain, which we can only really behold in silence, um, mental silence. But to be able to map it out with critical thinking is very useful for, yeah, I think both for just making... um, uh, improving the world, creating a happier place, more beautiful place, a place which we will be proud of, um, where we can all be happy, healthy, uh, and strong, as Wim Hof would say. Um, we can share the love. Now, what can we know for certain? Um, great question. Um, I think um, 
you know, what's the attributed to Socrates. All I know is that I know nothing. Which is pretty sage, I'd say. Because um, it kind of... Um, it's like a, a paradox, but it resolves itself very beautifully, almost like a dance where you're flinging yourself off this way, but then the momentum conveys into your partner's body and they pull you in the same way and you can keep moving sustainably. Um, but uh, all I know is that I know nothing. So it's not saying I know nothing. Oh, that's a paradox. Ha ha. I actually know something. Oh, no, I don't. Oh, ha ha. But um, I think it's really in the the deeper sense, the more valid sense, it's saying um, the, the state of not knowing is the state of consciousness, the state of um, thoughtless awareness, like this. Okay. Um, and so there's an embodied, I'm feeling my body, I'm looking at things, I'm kind of enjoying a, a feeling of humor and mirth while I'm exiting the thought stream, which I couldn't do for most of my life, only fairly recently been able to do it with practice you can do it um and very relaxing but that then rejuvenates your thought processes and grounds you to the reality here is the reality and so that's all you really know but in the term in in spiritual terms you know you're here you know you're you're aware you're conscious you're present you have no doubt and yet uh on the intellectual level there's no thinking so you know nothing that kind of knowledge, intellectual knowing, is turned off temporarily. So um, all I know is that I know nothing. And you could also say, you know, oh, no, I know that I know something, like in the spiritual sense. But uh, in terms of words, etc., you're kind of, it's what it's conveying to me, that statement, is the limits of linguistic understanding and that this is a very useful tool to be applied to improve the world and to bring upon the kingdom of good fortune, which we all seek. Um, and just imagine, like this, there's so much darkness and heaviness in this time. The COVID thing especially, like you can notice it, it's still here. Like um, it's very striking to me. It's just so gloomy. And you can feel that's another thing about critical thinking, feeling the energy behind people's words. Like, oh yeah, you're saying all the right things, but I'm not feeling much love here. I'm feeling a lot of fear and kind of darkness can't quite put my finger on it, but I'm feeling a very dark vibe from you, you know? And you feel that, and we should pay attention to that. That is evidence. Ancestrally, our, we're descended from the survivors of the survivors of the survivors, etc. And we have these instincts built into us to notice signals from the environment, and these are such signals. Um, and, you know, I'm yet to see certain, you know, billionaires or whatever. And, hey, some billionaires are really cool. Nothing against billionaires um, per se, but politically connected billionaires who are trying to remove other people's freedoms. That's a bit of another story. And, you know, I still won't hate them or anything. We're, we're all brothers and sisters in my mind. In fact, we're all one. We're all just the universe. We're literally in my, you know, if you ask me, uh, again, I don't want to like create some sort of blockage by in the listener by saying like, oh, I know this or something. But um, so I'll just say, you know, more humble, like offer it where you could take it as food for thought is the way I see it is that we are all one. We are literally one um, great soul, uh, one life. You could call it God 
living through all the roles, just like there's one reader and there's 12 different characters in the book. But it's the one reader who's reading it all. So in the same way, there is one cosmic reader who is also writing the story as it's read through each character in first person, unlike when you're reading a book. Um, but uh, so, you know, no love lost to them. However, um, I do care about setting boundaries and creating the, the ideal world that we want through honest um, articulation of what we see when we try to clear, clarify our vision to the utmost through critical thinking and mindfulness. Um, and so, um, yeah, uh, what can we know? Ultimately, just I am. Here I am. Consciousness exists and therefore reality exists. Uh, even if it's an illusion, even if um, consciousness is an illusion, but then if you're saying it's an illusion um, and so therefore the self is an illusion uh, and maybe the whole universe is an illusion, okay, how come this illusion is being noticed from within? You know, uh, you know, my vacuum cleaner, as far as I know, doesn't have a, an internal sense of like, here I am, I'm a vacuum cleaner. Um, and then a robot doesn't seem to have that, you know. Um, maybe they would if you got more advanced, who knows. But, um, but, but um, and that's just one, you know, to put that for those who would you know, agree with that, that's one way. They don't have it. So why do we, if we're just robots or something, why do we have this sense of being here? And if you say it's an illusion, I would say you need to stop being so lazy <laughs> and start meditate, you know, sit down, meditate, and then, you know, you're going to find like um, that there is such a thing as consciousness and it's not words, but um, everyone is able to access this. And, you know, I'd say it's about time that a lot of people who are very, very good at wielding critical thinking, you know, um, take the responsibility to, with all due respect, take the responsibility to um, step outside of thinking for a second and learn, master the skill of um, tuning into the body and the breath in order to thereby tune into the no thought consciousness, which is a, a state of the highest wakefulness. Um, as Eckhart Tolle says, um, and he, you know, adds an addendum to say that this, well, um, as Eckhart Tolle says, the, the highest state of something like this, the highest state of understanding is not thinking, but consciousness. The highest state of understanding is not thinking, but consciousness. So, or awareness. And then at, at, has an addendum of, uh, that's a re revolutionary statement, which it is, you know, because it seems animal, yeah, but what about animals? Reductio ad absurdum. They don't have thinking. You're saying they're more aware? Well, no, it's like um, a, uh, an improvement. You've got animals who've got the, they're just in the moment. Hey, what time is it, Mr. Tiger? What are you talking about? It's just now, right? It's always now. They have no concept of time. So there's like a, a it would seem, right? So a limited intelligence, engagement with thinking, it seems. And then we don't know exactly what they're thinking, but it seems, you know, stands to reason like 
there's evidence of, you know, te- we can test animals and things and notice, oh, well, they would be able to, you know, if they had a certain level of intelligence like we have, you know, you would think they would be able to do certain things. So we can test it to some extent. But harder with maybe like cetaceans and dolphins and, you know, and stuff like that, who I believe have bigger brain, bigger brains than us. Um, and just because they haven't modified their environment, we assume we're more intelligent. But they might actually be more intelligent than us, but just it's expressed in a different way or they're just hanging out, you know. But anyway, so animals, you know, with a thoughtless awareness um, are at here, a kind of certain level of consciousness. Um, but then we go above that, we get to the humans who are thinking, and then we get above that, um, you know, let's say humans who are thinking a bit, but mostly they're kind of in that state of presence, you know. And then further down the evolutionary chain, you get these humans like us who are just really deeply obsessed and obsessively involved in information where we're almost cyborgs. We've got these, can't put down our phones, you know, and we've got so much information coursing through us where we're thinking constantly. Um, and yet above that is the human who is able to think like that, is able to study and absorb information on that level and converse with people like that, and yet is able to turn off the thinking whenever they want, at will. And that that is the, the state of empty mind that you can have when you're able to have full mind with thinking whenever you want, that is the highest state of awareness on this planet. <laughs> I could say, I'm sure there's higher states elsewhere, I would, I would imagine. Um, but so uh, we are, what do we know? Well, not through thinking, but thinking can be useful. But basically all we can know is what we can know by direct observation. And direct observation is, is not a thought process. It is a seeing, a spiritual seeing, where you are aware. I'm looking at my microphone. Here I am. I can look at the lattice of um, metal across it, and I can kind of zoom in on it and imagine it's like a, a thousand kind of highway bridges going over each other and, you know, zoom in on the metal and just consider that that metal, you know, could be, you know, or it could be huge pipes, like a, an oil pipeline. The shape of it's very similar. It's just a different scale. And I zoom in on it and, you know, I know that it's 99% empty space and there's um, protons, electrons and neutrons um, composing it and that, that that's all made of energy and ultimately it would seem consciousness given that, I am conscious, I am present, and it seems everything is one. This Here would be some critical thinking, right? some logic. I know I'm present. Here I am. Uh, so I'm conscious. Um, and everything seems to be one because what would all the boundaries between things be made of? And then we know from scientific observation, everything's like empty space um, and just energy, energy... Matter seems to be a state of energy um, accumulating in certain shapes or something or positions. It's kind of vib- a series of f- vibra- uh, vibrational fields, but everything seems to be of one essence. And then if it wasn't, what would the essence in between it be made of? And then surely, you know, even if there was an essence in between it, that would all be universe stuff. And so it's all just made out of this one putty. It was all one, even by a conventional explanation, during the Big Bang. So how could it be one thing and then suddenly split in, in, into two essences. So it is one essence and I know that I'm here and I am therefore the essence of all things must be my essence. And I know that my essence is consciousness, what we call consciousness or presence or awareness or cognition or 
understanding or realization and um, uh, here I am. So therefore you are led to the conclusion that in fact the whole universe is consciousness or we could say consciousness is the universe. And so I would say that's what we know. We know that uh, we know what we can know through direct observation and then you could you know, maybe make the case for a, a few things like this, that the universe itself is consciousness through um, some very careful, <laughs> or I think careful, like syllogisms there of like what's going on with logic. But, um, but ultimately what you can know um, is what cannot be put into words. But more or less a rough translation might be uh, to be here, that we, that we are, you know. So... This has been a message uh, from the computer and from yourself uh, in another body about the nature of critical thinking and how to learn stuff and what's real and how to know what's real. And most of all, don't forget... to be silent. Whoops. Uh, much love, everybody. Good luck doing whatever you're doing. Keep up the good work.